0: This book, the Bible, we know is an awesome book. I, it's funny because when I type that, and I, of course I spell check and grammar check my, my work, but it says awesome. It says, please consider using something more professional, or I can't remember what it was, but it's funny because, you know, I'm like, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. The Bible is awesome, right? It contains words of power, words of comfort when we need words of comfort, words of instruction, Even words of admonishment, that's right. It'll tell you some things we shouldn't be doing and and we'll feel a little cringe of of, of something like that. It reveals the character of God and it expresses his love for us, his, his deep desire to heal our brokenness, right? And to restore our relationship with him and restore our relationships with each other. To bring us back into his holy presence despite all the things that we unintentionally do to create that separation in the first place. The Bible is a love story. It's a love story about how God loves you. It's words are delivered through recorded personal accounts, right? The gospels are are letters written by, or words recorded by people. The the epistles are letters written by Paul to various groups and people. It's allegories and parables. Jesus loved to speak in allegories and parables. And there's other literary means. Studying it as a literary tool is, is fascinating in and of itself. Some of it records historical events. You can look in the Bible and, and match it up with periods of exiles of, of the Israelites, with the destruction of the temple, with periods of famine in a region and, and various leaders of nations and tribes at periods in time. It contains historical information. And other parts of it allude to historical or social cultural environment, right? It talks about the presence and an influence of the Roman Empire, which was Around at the time uh, a lot of this was written, especially the New Testament. But two weeks ago, we talked about the full armor of God. This was uh, part of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to remind the readers that they have been given all the defensive and offensive tools that they require to fight the spiritual battle that takes place in this world. That battle is still taking place today. His metaphor was based on the, the physical pieces of protected gear and weaponry of the Roman soldier. And to the recipients of the original letter who were in Ephesus, because this is the letter Ephesians, this was an easy-to-understand illustration. They were very familiar with what these pieces were. So he was relating to that so they'd understand the different aspects and roles and responsibility of our spiritual armor. Still today, we can imagine each piece and its function based on images we've seen or something on television and movies. But it's unlikely that any of us have seen true Roman armor in person. Yet the illustration makes sense. And and more importantly, we understand the message that we have all that we require for this mission and we simply need to pick it up, to to put it on, to take it up, to wear this armor that we've been given. Throughout the Bible, there are many references to shepherding. What are we to think about this description of Jesus as shepherd? What kind of understanding do we have of this old profession? We can certainly picture the images of the nativity scene with the, the shepherds watching their flocks and then coming to the, the, the stable. But what is it about the life and responsibilities of this profession that makes sense With it becomes such a powerful example uh, when, you use, when Jesus decides to use it to describe himself? I am your shepherd. Surely the metaphor leading the sheep to the slaughter isn't the image that he wants us to, to think Surely we aren't mindless groupies just following around the leader wherever he may go. So, what does it truly mean to shepherd? In a Middle Eastern culture, people would understand the responsibility of shepherding sheep to include feeding the flock, finding safe pasture and, and, and safe water to groom them, to lead them, to teach them, to keep the flock intact, and searching after the lost and then bringing them back and protecting the group listen to these words of scriptures, you consider the Lord as your shepherd. The shepherd seeks. Ezekiel 34, 16 tells us that he will search for the lost and bring back the strays. That's what a shepherd does too. To carry and sustain us. Isaiah 46, 4, God says his own words. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Doesn't that sound like a good shepherd? To call us. Revelation 3.20, we read this last week. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, right? The shepherd calls his sheep. And of course, to save. We know this, we know 3.16, but John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is a good shepherd. And the tool of the shepherd is very simple. It's a shepherd's crook. I have one in my yard, it feeds my hummingbirds but this is a real shepherd's crook. And, and you can kind of see by the shape, it's a long staff, it has a hook in the end, and it's kind of flared out in the end. And I wanna kind of tell you what this is used for. Um, obviously, it's for stability when the, the shepherds are walking. They can use as a weapon to, to fend off animals or whatever they need to do. But the hook then's is interesting and the flare in particular, because if they need to capture a sheep, whether just attend to it or, or calm it down or, to, or pull it out of a, a crevice or whatever they need to do, they will hook the sheep by its leg or by its neck with this crook like this. And this is actually a fairly modern picture, obviously. Now that doesn't look really comfortable for the sheep but it's for his safety and, and then so the shepherd can do his job. I'll tell you, it probably doesn't feel very good when Jesus kind of catches us by the neck sometimes and says, whoa there, sheep, where are you going? What are you doing? you know, a little flare on the end so it doesn't catch them. It's just to kind of loop them, right? If you've ever been a lifeguard or seen the pool, the big, it's a double shepherd's crook to, to help pull people out of, the, out of the water. You know, it's a, it's a gentle tool to, to help and bring us back. God Himself is the shepherd that is so beautifully described by David in the twenty-third Psalm. What a wonderful psalm and message that is. Like everything he does, he's not simply any shepherd, he is the good shepherd. John ten eleven, he describes himself as the good shepherd, and, and in Hebrews 13 describes our Lord Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. And even 1 Peter 5, 4 talks about him being the chief shepherd. So when Jesus does something or God does something, he does it right, he does it fully, he's complete. I am father. That is our example of who a father is. Love others. Watch how Jesus loved others, right? I am a shepherd. I'm a leader. I'm a guide. I'm going to do it well, he says. And this makes it easy to see the references to the shepherd and sheep for, for what they are, truly are. You know, this metaphor is intentionally chosen illustration describing God as the heavenly shepherd. And Jesus says the shepherd who would come to earth and God's flock is us. Not just us in this room or listening online, but all of us, all of God's children are the flock and the flock gets separated and, and things happen. But Jesus is to bring this flock, flock in. And understanding the important role of the shepherd helps us understand God's love and Jesus's mission. Right? For the son of man came to seek and save the lost, just as a good shepherd would. All of the lost. John ten sixteen says this. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, right? That aren't of this group we have contained here. It says, I must bring them also. We must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. These verses immediately bring to mind the parable of the lost sheep for me. This story is recorded in two places in the gospel. One is Matthew 18, and the other is Luke 15. While both versions of the lost sheep parable use the same characters, Jesus is actually speaking to two different groups about two different um, concerns. And which is interesting, because a lot of the, the, the scriptures, they're a couple different perspectives of the same story, but Jesus is talking to two different groups about two different things. In Matthew 18, the lost sheep parable is given a response to a question asked by Jesus' disciples about who is the greatest, right? That was his response. And he uses it to address appropriate attitudes and disciplines above believer, among the believers. But in Luke 15, the lost sheep parable is given a response to the disapproving comments of religious leaders, This time he addresses their judgmental attitudes towards the unrighteous. That's in quotes because that's what they were determining. Liars and cheaters in the crowd. If you'd like to open your Bible to Luke 15, I'm just going to read the first couple verses here. I'll also have it on the screen. This is Luke 15. This is from the NIV on the screen. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man be welcome sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Those are Jesus' own words. And the 99 of each parable, whether in Matthew or in Luke, represents a different group of people. In Matthew 18, the flock represents the faithful earthly saints, right? The, The people that are already you know, have accepted or in Jesus' fold. Not that they're perfect, but, but they're the ones who are in Christ, right? This is, this is hopefully the group we count ourselves. But in the passage of Luke we, that we just read, the 99 can be seen as those who adhere to the law given by God. We are the, we are the ones that are doing it right. As the Pharisees he was speaking to, they, they claim to be this group. Jesus calls them the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Of course, this is just a little bit of poke at their self-righteousness. I don't want you to dwell on the wrong point here, okay? I want to explain to you what the 99 and the one really mean. The shepherd has 100 sheep in his care, 99 of which are safe and accounted for, right? They're not just wayward. They are, they're safe in the pen. They are cared for, and, and, and one is missing. One is missing. He leaves the 99 in their safety, to go and retrieve the one that's lost. The point is, is the finding the one, not, not the leaving of the 99. This is a message about redemption and his joy when people come to him for salvation, right? He says he celebrates. And there's pictures of, the, of this uh, parable with a, a shepherd carrying a sheep on his shoulders. Jesus shared this message in response to the Pharisees and, and scribes grumbling against him for spending time with sinners. While, while the Pharisees did not associate with sinners, Jesus did, and, and this behavior probably confused them, might have even insulted them a little bit because you know Jesus was a teacher. They were teachers, and they all knew the law. They've tested Jesus on this. Jesus knew the law. So why are you speaking to these filthy, unworthy, unrighteous people? Jesus openly rebuked the Pharisees and scribes for self-righteousness and hypocrisy. This is seen time over and time again, and Jesus can, can use some scathing words at times. Listen to this. This is from Matthew 23. 27 through 28, he says, woe to you. And if you look at the original meaning of the word, woe is not a, I feel sorry for you. It's, ugh, right? It's, I would almost say it's the opposite of a blessing, but it's, 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 it's a harsh word. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, ouch. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones and dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Ouch, ouch. What the Pharisees didn't understand and didn't seem particularly concerned with was that Jesus was going after the one who was lost among the crowd, right here in front of them, right? The liars, the cheaters, the unclean. He was extending saving grace to the sinners, which is exactly what he came to do. A good chapter goes after the one sheep who is vulnerable and alone, the one who is lost and in danger of being attacked by a predator. Don't think that the devil's the predator lurking around, saying it's okay to cheat a little, right? That person deserves what they're going to get. Let's get even. And Jesus brings them back in the flock and leads them all to safety. It is appropriate for Jesus to seek and save the lost sheep, knowing that the alternative... For the lost is an eternity of separation from God, which isn't what God wants. It's certainly not what Jesus wants, and it shouldn't be what we want. This was Jesus' mission and purpose. He wants to save all who are lost, for God is not wishing that anyone should perish, but all should reach repentance. That's 2 Peter 3, 9. And this becomes truly relevant when you consider that there are times in your life when you are that one. There are moments in your life, maybe even in a day, maybe it's not been a while, maybe it's, maybe it's still coming, but there will be a time when you are the one who is lost and you want Jesus to come after you. And God will pursue you and he will find you. I love this quote from Max Ocato. And we talk about it sometimes in our Bible study. It says, if there are a thousand steps between us and God, however many we put, between us and God, and He says, if there are thousands of steps between you and God, he will take all but one. He's done all the work seeking you. He will leave the final one for us. The choice is ours. The choice will always be yours. Always. You don't think you have any choice or control or power in this world? There it is. Jesus, I accept you. Now take it away. Through this parable, we can also see that Jesus is particularly concerned about the attitudes towards the lost sinner and the wayward believer. He said that there would be rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents and blessings for those who lead them back into God's presence. This was Jesus' mission and one that we share with him. But then we think about us as the sheep, right? Are we just to stand around, you know, except when we make the mistake of wandering off, we just kind of content in our spot? You know, it's today it's, it's kind of harder for us to relate to sheep and the shepherd illustration because we, we tend to think we are independent and smart enough to, to navigate this broken world on our own. But from Psalm 103, so this is back in the First Testament, so this is not a new problem for us. It says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So understand this, to be a part of God's flock is to be loved and cared for by him which means you are valued by him. You should desire to be a sheep in his flock. You and I have a few tendencies which require shepherding. Isaiah 53, 6 reminds us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Paul in Romans three twenty three reminds us that all of sinned and fall short. So we're all subject to this. But You have to do more than to stand around under God's watchful eye. You have a great responsibility to know the gospel. Paul explained how he was not ashamed of it because, because of the, the power of the words that brings salvation to everyone that believes. And you have a responsibility to share this good and share the gospel. That's a part of this DVD we're passing out. It's the reason we, we have Bibles if, if we need to hand them out to someone. We'll buy them for someone if they have a need. We, were, we have a responsibility to share the gospel. We we're told to go into the world and share the gospel. And as a member of the body of Christ, which we are as believers, we're to have more than an understanding of our value when lost, but also have proper attitudes towards others when they are. If we were to have read further in Luke 15, we would have found the parables of the prodigal son we read a week ago, right? And the, and the parable of the lost coin, God values every single one, including you. As such, we are to take initiative against the stumbling blocks of sin within the flock. This is, this is accountability. When we hold each other accountable, husbands and wives, friends, man to man, woman to woman, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor, stranger to stranger, to hold each other accountable. We're to have a heart of compassion and forgiveness, and I know that's tough sometimes. Sometimes. Matthew 18, another one of of Jesus' strong words in 18.6, he says it'd be better to have a large millstone, right? A large stone hung around your neck and be drowned in the depths of sea than to cause another person to stumble. This is a serious responsibility. To shepherd is to have a heart like God who loves and loves to shepherd just as a father caring for his own children would. And just as, as we are called his children and, and having this heart is something Jesus had clearly. It was, Bonnie read it from our scripture, remember Matthew nine thirty six, and also repeated in Mark six thirty four. It says, when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He felt sorry for them. He felt their need. It says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He said, I'll shepherd you. I'll bring you in to my flock. It was for the lost sheep that Jesus came, leaving heaven as our shepherd to lay down his life as a sacrificial lamb, to become sin for the sinner and righteousness for the saint. He chose to endure the cross simply for the joy set before him as his sheep were sought, called and placed on his shoulders for the journey home. And we must never forget that God's call to any lost sheep is is found in the gospel. Second Thessalonians 2.14 says he called you through our gospel. He called you through this gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus gave this instruction. Matthew 10, he gives instructions to his 12 disciples. It says Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then he lists them. the disciples. In verse five, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out in the following instructions. These are Jesus's words to them. He says, do not go among the Gentiles or any, any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And I love this. We sing this song. Freely you have received, now freely give listen to those words verse 7 as you go don't go and do but along the way that is our mission as a church as Christians not to go and, and you know but, but as we go about our life to do these things pray without, pray without ceasing we worship in everything we do as we go we proclaim that message <clears throat> and we share this mission we share this instruction with those original 12 disciples We have been charged with continuing the work of shepherding. 1 Peter 5, 2, it says, Be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Eager to serve. Acts 20, 28, the, the formation of the church as we know it. It says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock." of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And finally, Jeremiah, the prophet, going back to the First Testament, 315, says that I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. You understand that he, he's designed us to be shepherds, right? These are these, we are the disciples that, that Jesus said, go and make disciples of nations. And we turn and we make more disciples. And this is how we share the good news and we lead others to Christ and we all get to heaven. I made reference earlier to the 23rd Psalm because, because it is very much a, a shepherd and the sheep. And, and so there's this common piece about this. And we often hear about it in tough times or at funerals. But there's something about it in the peace of of any moment where we accept our role as the sheep being cared for by the great shepherd, the the chief shepherd, the greatest shepherd. Psalm 23. I would love it if we could read this as a congregation. And this is, again, the NIV. So some of the words may be slightly different than what you're doing. But let's let's share this word, would you? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a couple things I love about this, and this is not unique to this particular psalm, but it it starts and it kind of changes. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes, he refreshes, but halfway through, you are with me. You are my rod, your rod and staff. You prepare me. Do you see how it becomes very personal? And if you read the Psalms, and we've done a lot of these on our Wednesday night Bible study, it starts with maybe even a period of lament. And then he, as he talks to it, he realizes these wonderful things. That's the comfort. The Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. Maybe that's the wording you're familiar with. And he does this. He refreshes my soul. And then he goes, but even when I'm in these dark places, I don't fear because... You are with me. Now it's, now it's personal, right? You and I. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we'll never be able to do it the justice that, that it probably deserves. Because there are theologians and philosophers that will spend an entire career studying this. But we can take a lot from their studies. So beginning Wednesday, we're going to dive into the, the 23rd Psalm and, and study pieces of it. And get out of it, what, what I'd love to get out of scripture is what does this reveal about the nature of God? What does this to tell me about him and what he wants from me and how can I apply this to life? There's hope in there. Even in the parts, even in the darkest valley, there's hope in there. This is the joy of following the good shepherd. This is the joy of being a part of that flock. This is the joy that we're supposed to share and say, come check this out. Whether it's here or somewhere else, come check out the God that I know. Let's make the peace and joy of the Good Shepherd our prayer. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Good Shepherd, thank you for coming down and leading us back into your physical presence as, as, as the disciples followed you, as they multiplied the numbers and the church was founded and grew. And Lord, even though you left this place, you did not leave us. You sent the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit tells us that we are your child, we are your sheep. That also tells us that you have other sheep out there that need you. So, Lord, whether we're counted as the 99 that are safe and sound, whether we're at a moment or have been in a moment or about to be in a moment where we become that lost, Lord, Lord, help us to recognize that and allow us to, to make that one step back towards you. Heavenly Father, as we see those that are in other flocks and we see those that are lost, help us to lead them back into you if by nothing else than to pray fervently for them. Lord, you see them and you want to pursue them because that's what you do. You go after the lost. And that's what gives us peace and hope. That's what gives us joy. And that's the joy we share. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the good shepherd and allowing us to be your sheep. We trust you with all of our care, with all of our needs, and we trust on you in the great moments and the dark moments because you have got this. Heavenly Father, we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.